What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode two of the Tomahawk Show, presented to you by Uninterrupted. I am, of course, I of course am Andrew Hawkins here with Joe Thomas, the legendary Joe Thomas, and of course, Faceless Dan. Are we are we going with Faceless Dan or Anonymous Dan? Whatever you guys prefer. Whatever we prefer, we'll figure it out. We'll let we'll let the Twitterverse take a vote on it. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm sorry, Hawk. Did you say how you doing, Joe, or how you doing, man? I didn't know if you're looking at me. <laughs> Obviously, because I'm on assignment right now, and I'm not in the studio like I usually am for all of our previous episodes, but we're just going to have to roll with it today. That's it, man. You're, you're at a remote location that we won't disclose. Um, special mission um, for all the fans out there. Maybe we'll, we'll, they'll figure it out one day. So you, let me get this straight. Joe shows up. Like That's Joe's thing, right? He shows yeah. up. He's Joe is a show-up guy. He's there for 160 straight games for the Browns. Yes. He's there for 10,000 consecutive snaps for the Browns. Joe shows up. That's what he does. That's what he does. And then episode two of Tomahawk, he He's not doesn't here. show up. That's crazy because this, this is not only, besides the fact this is the second show and he's not here, this is also his second podcast where he's also missed consecutive. He has zero streaks in any podcast. So he is not an <laughs> Iron Man of podcasts. No. So the thing he, that's good for Browns fans that they, they should know that the thing he does best is play football because his podcast career is off to a shaky start. Guys, uh, I figured since we rocketed to number two on the sports and leisure podcast category, <laughs> it was really time for me to take a break, step away for a little bit, and just get a vacation because I felt like I really deserved it. That leisure, you really need it. Yeah, he needed a vacation off of that one episode we did. But no, that's cool, though. We should, we should talk about that. We should thank, first off, let's thank all the fans that are listening to the podcast now, that listened last week, that rated us five stars, subscribed, because that's a really big deal. We shot up to number two, which was incredible and as a matter of fact if you're listening right now and you're not subscribed subscribe and also hit a five-star rating right now because the stars one through four don't work we discussed that last week um and yeah we just want to say we appreciate you and hopefully we'll have a lot of awesome podcasts to come we're also going to be available on android so all the android users we're available there now listen and, and get your fix of the tomahawk show we got a bunch of topics to get to we got the patriots reported issues which we kind of did we break that last week? Because we talked about that before anybody else knew it, Joe. We really did. I think we were the ones that inspired the ESPN story. And uh, really, we were the first boots on the ground on that Patriots drama. Exactly. Tomahawk World Headquarters, always in front of the news. We're also going to talk about, we're going to recap the national championship um, in NCAA. Uh, we'll talk about NFL player workouts. We'll make our divisional round playoff picks. And we'll also get into some of the, the coaching changes around the league be that coordinator and head coach. So I guess we'll just get right into it, man. Let's talk about the, the Patriots and the turbulence going on. I know Joe has very unique insight on that. Joe, let me know what your story is on this, man. What, what is your take on all the Patriots news that came out this week? Well, it was interesting. I, I think my nose was telling me that something was fishy for a while since that trade went down because I was kind of on multiple sides of this trade. Obviously, I worked with Kyle Shanahan before and – so did Hawk. We really respect him, so we kind of know his side of things. Uh, being in Cleveland, I knew our side of things because we tried to trade for him in the spring. And then, and again, knowing the people in our building, we're trying to work a deal in the fall for him. Um, and then to see that something had happened sort of abruptly right before the trade deadline for merely a second-round pick, which I think by all accounts there was multiple teams that were offering more than a second-round pick in the spring, and yeah. I believe that while the Browns didn't have an opportunity to bid for them in the fall, they certainly would have offered more than just a second-round pick. Um, but it just didn't smell right to me. I, I knew something was going on, but I just couldn't get to the bottom of it. I didn't have anybody that had any better information about it, and all the people I talked to just said, well, you know what, Bill Belichick just – you know, went from being the tin man with having no heart to all of a sudden he had this big heart and he loved Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> and so he wanted to give him to somebody that uh, was going to do a great job develop developing him and he knew Kyle Shanahan would do a great job and for me that just it didn't go over well because Bill Belichick has made a name as the greatest coach of all time by right. making shrewd decisions that are always in the best interest of him and his team and he never makes decisions based on emotion even if it's a player that he really loves. And so I just knew something was up, and it was only a matter of time before it kind of came out. Yeah. I mean, that I, I couldn't agree more only because – now, for those that are listening, let, let's kind of set the scene a little bit. So there was a report that came out for anybody – any football fans who have been living under a rock. There was an article <laughs> written in ESPN 
about the Patriots culture and is this the beginning of the end where it talked about a rift between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the owner Robert Kraft and essentially he had he forced Belichick to trade Garoppolo because he was threatening Tom's legacy and and the, the organization's ability to move forward with Tom in the future. Tom is forty plus years old. He talked about a bunch of things. He talked about uh, problems with Tom's personal trainer who has been given full access to the building at times and then it was revoked. They talked about players in the locker room referring to Tom Brady as sir, which I can speak to a little bit. Um, so, yeah, there, there was a bunch in there. And to me, much like you said, Joe, there was something fishy there about it. But I will say, it, like reading the article, and maybe it's because I was there for the little short time that I was, but nothing like was glaring to me. Like I heard all the reaction to it before I actually read the article. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this article must be crazy. And then I'm reading it, and I'm like going through paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. And I'm like, oh, it must, it must be about to get juicy here at the end. And then I got to the end of it, and I'm like, that's it? You know, and I think it's mostly because being in there, that, this is what we spoke about last week. There's like zero emotion that goes into the Patriots organization. Every coach coaches differently. Like like Pete Carroll, if they wrote this article about Pete Carroll, it would be a problem because Pete Carroll coaches based on relationship. He wants the guys to love him. He loves his guys. He wants them to know he cares about them, and that's why they play hard for him. Belichick is the complete opposite. His is completely business. He doesn't want to say hi to you in the weight room. When I signed there, they're like, you know, go, go meet with Coach Belichick. He wants to see you. So I went there to see him. Our conversation went like this. Hey, Coach, how you doing, man? Great to be here. Hey, Andrew, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Good to have you here. See you at practice. That was how our introductory meeting went. And that was literally the end of the meeting. And I walked out, and then I seen him at practice. So reading this article, I was kind of like, eh. Do, does your head coach and your quarterback have to be best friends? That's an honest question. What do you think? I mean. Because I know a lot of organizations who had, whose quarterbacks and head coach probably have great relationships, but they don't have five Super Bowls. Yeah, I, I think that having a friendship it doesn't matter one way or the other, to be totally honest. I think you have to have a healthy level of respect for each other. You've mm-hmm. got to be able to have a working relationship. But you, you take the best quarterback of all time and the best coach of all time and you put them together. Those are some big egos that have to be able to work together, but they don't have to be friends off the field. And actually having a little bit of a tense back and forth competitive relationship actually might bring out the best in both of them. I agree. I mean, what is the, I don't get it. Like I, I would want both of my guys to be like that. Like if that's what's going on in Patriots behind closed doors, I think the other 31 organizations are doing it wrong. Everybody should be a-holes to each other because I mean, then it'll probably produce a lot of wins. I mean, it's been working the last 18 years for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's unheard of to think, 18 years. I will say that from an organizational standpoint, at what point can you ever move on from either of them? Now, there's going to be a point where Tom can't do it anymore. I get we think he's Iron Man. I get he's having probably he's probably the lead candidate for the MVP right now. But at some point, he's not going to be able to do it. I'm not trying to hear that he's a 52-year-old quarterback still is, is running my franchise. So how do, you, how do you let go of that guy if he decides he never wants to retire? Well, I think that's where it's going to get really tricky, and I think it's going to be ugly. I think uh, obviously they've cemented their legacy as the greatest quarterback coach of all time with all the championships and the success that they've had, but at some point it will come to an end. Like you said, uh, I'm not buying it that Tom Brady's going to be able to play till he's 52. I know that he's really convinced with his TB12 water and all this other fancy stuff that he's selling uh you don't that he use believes that? he'll be able to live forever i mean i'm not saying i wouldn't it probably won't hurt but I, i'm not convinced that he's going to become the first man to defy age of all time uh but certainly he's going to play I, I think a few more years but at some point he is going to think he can still play and the patriots are going to think he can't play anymore and it's going to be an ugly divorce i mean i i he doesn't seem like the type of personality that is going to be able to step away when he can still play. He's going to have to have the wheels fall off during a season before they get rid of him. And I think it's going to be a difficult ending. And it might be one of those like Green Bay and Brett Favre where it takes a few years before those relationships are mended and they're able to kind of get inducted into the Hall of Fame together. I think that's what kind of peed Belichick off is the fact that let's say something happens where Tom ends up thinking a year and a half from now, you know what, I am done. I'm good. And now he's sitting there watching Garoppolo win all kind of games for the 49ers. That, that could be the beginning of the end for them as an organization, even with ties to Belichick, because I think that would probably send him over the top. Garoppolo yeah, I, I know good. that. 
Yeah, sorry, Hawk. That, that's really from what I've understood is sort of the linchpin of that whole trade that happened with Garoppolo. Because I, I remember being in the building in Cleveland when we heard that Garoppolo was traded, and um, I had some discussions with people in our building in the front office, and they were just as perplexed about what happened as anybody in the media because the people in Cleveland have had a great working relationship with the Patriots front office. We've traded for Jamie Collins for a third-round pick. We traded them Barkevius Mingo the year before that. Um, And the Browns people had said to the Patriots, if Jimmy Garoppolo is ever available, make sure we're the first ones that you call because we would love to make a deal. And there was definitely plenty of overtures throughout the season. And then to see that he was traded to San Francisco without the Browns even getting a phone call was sort of the confusion, I think, on everybody's part. Like, wait a minute, we would have outbid anybody. I mean, look, the Browns tried to make a trade for A.J. McCarron at the trade deadline for a second-round pick. And I think, by all accounts, everyone would say that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is a more highly valued quarterback than A.J. McCarron on the free market. Um, Even then. So I think you you look at all those pieces and what it came down to, and this is what I was able to uncover because some people that were on the inside had reached out to me and told me, basically Belichick wanted to send Garoppolo to a a place where he knew there was going to be long-term stability and he was likely to have success and then re-sign there. And I know that Belichick's relationship with Shanahan was really important because Belichick believes that Shanahan's going to be very successful in San Francisco, and he believes that he's going to turn Jimmy into the great quarterback that Belichick believes he can be. And Belichick was worried that he just if he opened up Garoppolo to the highest bidder and sent him to a place that's known for instability, which is Cleveland, that yeah. within a year, that player, Jimmy Garoppolo, is going to be on the free market. And he had a very good chance that he was going to sign with either Buffalo or the New York Jets, both of them who are looking for a franchise quarterback. And if he feels as strongly about Garoppolo as he ends up being, he thought that they were going to be beating the Patriots twice a year with Jimmy Garoppolo as quarterback, and that would be something that would be unpalatable for Bill Belichick. Can you imagine Jimmy Garoppolo in a Jets jersey beating the Tom Brady at 43 or 44 New England Patriots with Belichick as a coach because they traded him because the owner demanded it? Yeah, I can imagine, man. And the thing about Belichick, and he he runs that entire organization. He makes all the decisions top to bottom. Everything in that building is linear, and it all points back to Bill Belichick. I'm talking about from the lunch ladies to the scouts to the (laughs) coaches. I kid you not, man. I mean, we would be on the field having practice, and this is crazy. For people that don't know, like the coaches run the practice. We would be on the field having practice, and as I'm trying to learn the offense, it would be the scouts and the front office people who were teaching me the offense. That's how like in tune their entire organization is, where the scouts and the front office guys know the offense just as good as the coaches do, to the point where they're coaching the new guys up on how to run the routes. That's crazy. Well, yeah, that, that's one thing that I think people on the outside and even a lot of people in the NFL don't truly understand is that in New England, when they hire an offensive coordinator, or a defensive coordinator, or, or any other coach, they're going to come in and they're going to be running the offense or the defense that Bill Belichick installed 18, 19 years ago. Yep. They're not going to be bringing in their own offense. You know, if, yeah. if uh, let's say, North Turner gets hired and he's the new coordinator of the Patriots, let's just say, he's not going to be running his offense. He's going to be using the terminology and he's going to be running the offense that has been there for 18 years. And that's why everybody in that organization is on the same page and they're so good at what they do. And there's so much details because they've been doing the same thing for year after year after year, and there is no confusion whatsoever as to how they're going to block something or how they're going to bring a blitz or how anything's going to happen because they exactly know what Bill wants and they're going to do exactly what he wants or they won't be there. No, I couldn't agree more, man. That was my exact experience being there. It's actually crazy hearing you talk about it because it sounds like you actually played there because you're describing (laughs) how the practices went for me. (laughs) Speaking of being there, Hawk, did you call him sir? Who, Tom Brady? Yeah. No, I didn't, but here's the thing. Like, everybody was, like, up in arms about, like, oh, you know, he makes players call him sir. That, that part of the report was off to me. You know, and, and I'm not saying the whole report was off, but the part where they act like, you know, he has such a hold in the organization that players called him sir, it was ridiculous. The reason why they call him sir, first off, I've never heard anybody call him sir, number one, right? Any veteran or any guy that's past the age of 25. 
But if you're a rookie in the 2017 season, right, you were 21, 22 years old. Tom Brady is 40. You've been hearing about Tom Brady since you've learned about football at five years old. Your father has been telling you about Tom Brady. Your father has been showing you what a competitor looks like, and he is pointing to a Tom Brady jersey. So your entire life, you've heard this man's name. You know him. You've seen him. You understand him. So when you get there, you're 21 years old. He is twice your age. Yes, you're probably going to call him sir. Just out of a respect level. If I talk to a 60-year-old man right now who is twice my age, I'm going to call him sir. That's why if you hear someone call him sir, or if the writer or if somebody reported that a, a guy's come in and call him sir, it's because he's 20 years older than them. Of course they're going to call him sir. He's twice their age. He's, he's ancient to them. He's a fossil. So I didn't, th- that part of the report, I, you know, it rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, that's not true. That's kind of over-embellished. But yeah, I, I think I think you're right on there. I mean, uh, that's the part of the report that didn't sit all that well with me. Is that they try to right. make Tom out to be some type of jerk, and that's not what he is. I mean, he's no. he's probably the most competitive guy that the league has seen, or maybe one of the most competitive guys the league's ever seen. He's extremely serious. But everybody that I know that knows him really well, or that has worked with him or played with him, said he's not a jerk. You know, he might be no. serious. He's not going to waste time small talking with you because he's efficient in what he does. But he's definitely not a jerk, and he's not going to be this big ego guy that's going to sit up on his high horse. Never. And honestly, people would ask me about him while I was there, like, what's Tom Brady like? And that's what I would tell him. I would say, I can tell he goes out of his way to make himself personable to the guys because he is so much older, so he has to, he has to make a diligent effort to relate to the guys, sit at the tables and talk to them. Because me and you talked about it. When we were here with the Browns and the team was so young, it would be like me, you, and two other guys all the time because – we're 30-plus, and they're all 21s. We don't talk about the same things. We don't experience the same things. We're not at the same points in our life. Like, so we'd be hanging out more with the coaches and the players because we're closer to the coaches in age. And it's just like that with Tom. But I could tell while I was there he was going out of his way to be one of the guys, whether that's dancing, whether that's hanging out in the locker room, listening to music, talking about certain things. I could just tell it was an effort on his part to show how relatable he is so that it helps with the chemistry of how they play on the field. But is it genuine? Yes. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's genuine. I mean, it's not like I'm just saying it wasn't him saying, yo, you you respect me. I am Tom Brady. You call me, sir. You get out the way when I come in here. You don't speak. It wasn't like that. You know what I mean? And even if it wasn't genuine, even if it was him making a conscious effort, that is better for chemistry than what the article kind of insinuated is that he was above the organization. But we could talk about that all day. Um, Let's move on. Let's move on to some coaches stuff. Because I think it's an easy transition. Even talking about Belichick not trading Garoppolo to the Browns, there was like, I think most people felt like it was kind of a, a a little bit of a grudge since the way he left Cleveland. The reason why he wouldn't deal it, some people said that. But there's a lot of coaches that actually used to coach here in Cleveland that whose names are circulating in coaching circles. And I kind of want to get Joe's take on him because he's played for most of them. We got Petten going to the Packers, which I like. I liked Petten. People don't like, he wasn't a man of many words. But I, I, I appreciated Pettin when he was here because he was, like, about business. I think where Pettin went, went, went wrong is he put some people in charge and maybe put some people – some people got his ear that maybe shouldn't have gotten, gotten his ear, and I think that, that may have did him in his time here in Cleveland. What are your thoughts, Joe? I agree. I think the problem with the Mike Pettin experience in Cleveland as a head coach was uh, Johnny Manziel. Um, you know, he was drafted in the first round. He was the heir apparent as the quarterback – uh, and people in the front office wanted to sell tickets, and they wanted Johnny Menzel planned. And everybody that was on the football side of things that saw him practice, that saw him prepare, that, or lack of prepare, saw him in the meeting room, realized he just wasn't ready. He wasn't mature enough. He wouldn't be able to handle it. But the first moment that Hoyer slips up, now you've got those very powerful people in the front office saying, you got to play this guy, you got to play this guy. And it went on for a couple weeks, and finally it got to the point where they won the argument and they, we had to play Johnny. And as soon as that happened, it was almost like everybody on the football side just gave up because they knew what the results were going to be like. Because they knew that while the whole run around and throw the ball up in the air works in college, it's not something that works in the NFL. You have to have that baseline amount of preparation to be able to go out there and proficiently operate offensively to give your team a chance to win and if you don't do that it's just not going to happen yeah i don't think i don't think johnny was ready to play i think johnny would sit up here if we had johnny on the show right now i think johnny would tell us that it was it was a bad look for him to be thrown into that situation you know and it it probably helped his trajectory 
in in the opposite direction because we were we were rolling we were seven and four in 2014 and I, yeah I mean it's, but it's decisions like that that it's like yeah that gets you fired because it's hard to get seven and four in this league it's hard to get seven and four in this division and especially here this it's, you know with the history that we have with the Browns um, other coaches Pat Shermer he's a hot head coach in Canada obviously the offensive coordinator for the Vikings you were with him as a head coach what are your thoughts there well I'm a big fan of head coaches that are getting their second opportunity to be a head coach. Uh, really? I think you learn a lot. Yeah, I, I think you learn a lot your first opportunity when you're a head coach. And you, you've you got all those experiences to fall back on as your second opportunity as a head coach. But they're always not the sexiest pick because everybody always wants the hot offensive or defensive coordinator. But really, what makes you a great head coach has nothing to do with your understanding of an offense or a defense. So really the skills as a head coach are totally different than being an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. So for a guy like Pat Shermer who is an offensive coordinator and he gets the head coaching job, you get those two years of learning what it takes to be a head coach. What are those skill sets that you need to develop? And then so you get an opportunity to go back to just being an offensive coach, being a quarterback coach, being an offensive coordinator. You have that time to think about what you would do differently if you were a head coach. And you get that opportunity to work under a couple different head coaches, and you get to see the things they do. I think Pat Shermer had a chance to work, work under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, and then he's working under Mike Zimmer in uh, Minnesota. Those are two completely different coaches, but you're going to sort of grab different traits and different things from those head coaches and instill them into your own process for being a head coach. And I think you're going to be a, a much better head coach the second time around. Now, you may not win the press conference as an owner hiring a coach that's already been hired and fired, but I truly believe those are the best coaches that you can hire as head coaches. That's what I don't get. I think that's where teams mess up. I think they mess up with the kind of, you know, you have to be an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator to be a head coach. They, they pay these search firms, search firms millions of dollars to find head coaches, and there's still no rhyme or reason to who they pick, and they still get it wrong the majority of the time for the reason you just said. Being an offensive coordinator does not mean you're going to be a good head coach. Being a good defensive coordinator does not mean you're going to be a good head coach. And there's guys who are better head coaches who are probably terrible offensive and defensive coordinators. Because you kind of delegate. You run, a, you run an organization as a head coach. So it's not so much the X's and O calling. If you are good at, if you're a people person, you can get guys to play hard. You can get coaches to do their jobs effectively. And you can delegate and pick the right people to put in charge. I think that makes you a good head coach. But I don't get how these search firms are paid literally millions of dollars. And no one ever comes back with like, hey, there's a special teams coach here who would be a great head coach. Or there's a good uh, DB's coach who would be a great head coach. Now, I know sometimes those guys get interviewed, but... The majority of guys who get hired are guys who are good offensive defensive coordinators. And that's why they go there and then aren't successful as head coaches and then go right back to being coordinators because that's probably where they fit best. Well, it's interesting, Hawk, how we've come to this place, how everyone just assumes that the hot offensive or defensive coordinator will be the next great head coach. But if you, right. if you took that analogy into the business world, it would be like if, let's say, Target was looking for a CEO and they hired a search firm, and the search firm came back and said, well, the best accountant in the world is working for GE, so we think you should hire him to be the next CEO. Now, we realize that he has no training to be a CEO, but he was a really good accountant, so if he's good at being right. an accountant, he has to be a good CEO, right? Well, really, like you mentioned, those two roles are completely different. As, a, as an offensive coordinator, you're, you're developing the X's and O's and you're coaching your coaches and your players on the X's and O's and the details of a game and you're calling a game as a head coach for the most part, unless you're calling your plays or your, your own offensive coordinator, you're not doing any of that. What the role of a head coach is, is dealing with the owner. You're dealing with the media. You're managing your coaches and you're managing your players and you're managing your schedule and you're right. trying to motivate them. Those are your responsibilities. It really has nothing to do with really the X's and O's of things, and just being good at that has no bearing on whether you're a good leader or a motivator or a manager of people, which is what a head coach has to do. I agree. I think there's players that you could probably hire that would be better head coaches than some of the guys in the league right now. You can hire – there's a couple players. That, like Josh McCown, we talk about him a lot. I feel like Josh McCown could be a head coach in the NFL right now. And be, be very effective and be very good. Well, he's o older than most of the head coaches in the NFL. Yeah, very true. <laughs> I say it like he's a young guy. He would he would automatically be the fifteenth in age. 
Right, we Sorry, Josh, about Shermer. didn't mean to poke fun at you. Nah, man, we love Josh. We love Josh on the Tomahawk Show. He's going to be a guest on here soon. We talked about Shermer. There's also a report that he's like a package deal with Case Keenum. Case Keenum said he used uh, virtual reality to improve his game. Case Keenum is having like a, I don't want to say an outlier year, but he is playing a lot better this year than he ever has in his career, probably in his life. And he, he, he gives that uh, credit to using virtual reality in the offseason to improve his game or even during the year. What is the craziest kind of training method you've used, Joe? I know you said you're not a TB12 guy, so what do you use? What do you use there in Wisconsin? <laughs> I, I guess I don't really have any crazy training methods. Um, as far as the physical side of things, I'm a big believer in yoga. I think mobility and being strong in uh, flexible positions is important, especially for an offensive lineman. And so I really have used yoga a lot. I guess it's not that crazy, but um, no, for crazy. me, I watched a lot of film, but it was ago. sort of just basic. Well, you talked about the strength. Uh, I remember videos of Peyton Hillis, like pulling trucks. Yeah. How much of that stuff actually helps, or is that just for show? It's all for show. It's all stupid, and it's all for show. Even like my footwork videos. <laughs> like I went viral with footwork videos. I wasn't even working out then. I'm gonna. Lie. I did my workout. I set the ladder up. I choreographed it and like, hey, video this real quick. I better go viral. And I did it, and that's exactly what it did. And everybody's like, oh, that's what Hawk does. And so I got like 12-year-old kids trying to do this footwork video, thinking it's going to make them better. And I'm like, no, that's not going to – that literally does nothing for you. You can admit now that was in fast forward, right? That wasn't – No, that speed. was not in fast – that is real speed. That is <laughs> – I'm not going there with you, Anonymous <laughs> Dan. That is – that was legit. But you see like James Harrison like pulling trucks. or like Really, right, all, yeah. he's, all he's doing is hurting his back. He's going to be in a wheelchair when he's 52 years old. Because he's doing all this crazy stuff. It doesn't help. Like, I'm, I'm so basic when it comes to training. I won't do – like, literally, when I get ready for a season, I would literally just run. That's all I would do. Run, lift, anything else, any other method scientifically. And I'm sure there's some out there that are great that can make a lot of sense. I just wasn't on board. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stick to what I know, which is run fast and try to lift to be stronger to get ready for people to try to take my head off. Joe, have you ever tried pulling a truck? Yeah, I'm sure Joe has. Uh, yeah, for sure. Just like Hawk said, you know, uh, <laughs> occasionally for show. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm right on board with Hawk. Most of the guys that I know in the NFL, when they're getting ready for training camp, we all understand that the only way you can get ready for football is to play football. So the only way you're going to get ready for the season is by practicing in training camp. Now, you have to have a certain level of fitness and strength to be able to perform in training camp to be able to hold up so that you can survive those six weeks of training camp so that you're ready for the season. Uh, but for me, that always just meant I needed to make sure I was squatting in the summer. I needed to make sure I was doing my running. If I was doing those two things, I was going to be able to hold up for a training camp practice and for a training camp week. And then during that week of training camp is where you're really getting yourself ready for the season. Yeah, it helps when you have the Joe Thomas practice schedule too. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. I'll Joe see you is like it, boys. Joe is like a Ferrari to all the listeners at home. You only drive him on Sundays. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> all right, we got, we, got one more, we got another topic coming up. We got the, did you watch the Alabama-Georgia uh, game? How about you, Anonymous Dan? I want to hear you first. Yeah, we got that because it, it's kind of the year of the comeback, and it continued well, first with the Titans. The Titans and the meltdown of the Chiefs, which was crazy to me, but also with the national championship game, which is also a crazy situation. Um, I wasn't high on Mariota. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I, I was. I talk bad about Mariota because I don't. I don't. And even still, like they came back. The the play that turned it around for the Titans against the Chiefs was when Mariota rolled out in the red zone. He threw a pass. It got tipped. He caught it himself and scored a touchdown. So he threw a pass and also was the receiving receiver for the touchdown pass. And everyone's like, "Oh, he's a gamer." That was like the worst quarterback play ever. So even still, like you literally threw it as hard as you could at a defender who was three yards in front of you, and it was, he was just so close that he couldn't catch it and it hit his hands, and you got lucky. That doesn't mean you're a great quarterback to me. Now, he did make some plays down the stretch, but his best two plays were that one and a block that he threw, which still doesn't make you a good quarterback. He did throw a good seam for the touchdown, but overall it was, it was a lot of luck in there. So you stand by what you said last week where you called him a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. He's still a middle-of-the-pack quarterback to me. I mean, that's not an insult. I mean, that's I mean, it's, it's kind it's of an insult, an insult, but it's, it's not. It is totally it negative. Is. People call me a middle of the pack receiver, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm okay with that. That's just such is life. All I'm saying is, there's quarterbacks who are tangibly very good, right? But they don't have any intangibles, and that's why we hate them. 
And then there's quarterbacks who survive kind of off their intangibles. Um, and I think that's more Mariota. Mariota has some tangibles, don't get me wrong. But I feel like, yes, he is a moxie guy. He is a, you know, when things are in the thick, he's going to try to make a play. He cares about it. That's what I want out of my quarterback. But he doesn't have enough on the tangible side for me to say, yo, this is an elite guy. You take a guy like Blake Bortles, he's all tangibles. He's 6'5", rocket arm, you know, built. And then he gets in the game and he rushes for more yards than he has passing. So I, I, you got to have a balance. But, yeah, I, I'm just not sold on Mariota yet as an elite guy. He's just a gamer to me. Right. You wouldn't give him a big quarterback contract because he threw a nice lead block and he was able to pick up his own deflected pass and run it for a touchdown. I mean, those were uh, playmaker-type things, right. but not necessarily from a quarterback position. No, I agree. I agree. I think th- those are the kind of quarterbacks you give, like the Andy Dalton contract, the Colin Kaepernick contract, where it's like a prove-it contract. You have to come in, you have to play well for X amount of years, and then things the escalators start going and the guaranteed money comes down the line. That way you continue to prove yourself, like – those are the kind of guys you give those kind of quarterbacks. Blake Bortles doesn't get a contract from me. I let him walk. I don't take his option here. Like, I just feel like that defense is way too good for games to be this close. Because if, if they had just a semi-competent quarterback, and I don't want to say he's horrible, but he's not even like a, a middle-of-the-pack. He's below the middle-of-the-pack quarterback to me. And if they had a middle-of-the-pack guy, I feel like that team would be a lot better off. And that's just my personal opinion. He's not a guy that I feel like the Jaguars should sign back. Well, that's a great question. What should the Jaguars do at quarterback next year? Alex Smith it. Alex Smith is your That's your answer. Alex Smith, um, make a play for Kirk Cousins. Uh, you know, you may draft a guy. You may go get Eli Manning, you know, a guy who's used is a gamer when it comes to the playoffs and, you know, at least knows the system. I, you go get guys like that. I don't think Blake Bortles is, is even done enough to show me that he's like a guy you consider. This, he's in essentially a contract year, number one. He has the best defense in football. If you can't play well in your contract year, and if you're a quarterback and you can't show show the top of your ability when you have a defense that good, a safety blanket that good, a guy a defense that is giving you the ball in the red zone, past the 50-yard line, Controlling the clock for you. Scoring points. Scoring points for you. Like literally making it as easy as possible when you still look like just eh at the position. You're just not the guy. I, I, that's just that's just my opinion. Would you rather see them draft somebody next year and play with a rookie quarterback? Or would you rather have them sign a veteran and maybe try to make a push for a Super Bowl? I think you got to sign a veteran because that defense, as you know, they can't they can't stick together for that long because everyone's going to start wanting to get paid and and they should because they're ball. I mean, these guys have just as many touchdowns on defense as they do on offense, you know. So I think you have a very short window. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe if you're if you're lucky, two more years. So you have the next two years to try to turn this into a, a Super Bowl winning team, and you got to go get a quarterback to do that. So I, I don't think I don't think a rookie is the answer. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You look at people that say, oh, defense wins championships. Now, I think they do. If you look back over the NFL history, there has been great defenses that have won a championship, but it's too hard to keep 11 guys together in the era of free agency. So if you really want to put together a dynasty, it has to start with the quarterback. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. National championship, what were your thoughts on that game? That was a crazy game, man. I really don't even get hyped for games. But I was watching the end of that like, yo, this is nuts. The thing that I always enjoy when I watch Alabama is just how well their defense plays together. They're, they've got to be the best coached college defense of all time. And it seems like every year they're putting out 11 outstanding NFL prospects on defense that play really well together. And really a lot of that credit or all of that credit has to go to Nick Saban. What about I, the thing that bothered me the most about the game was nothing in the game. Jalen Hurts, he, he didn't play well. He got pulled at halftime. So Tua came in, the, the backup quarterback, and obviously led him back. Georgia, the state of Georgia has not been good at, with leads in, in championship games this year. But the thing that made me the most upset was seeing all the bonuses the coaches got after the game for the win. The special teams coach got $70,000 for the win. And honestly, if you think about it, the kicker missing it is his fault. That's in his department. But he gets seventy grand, and you mean to tell me that freshman quarterback who came in to lead the, the, the comeback doesn't deserve any money? 
I'm not for that. In, in case anyone's wondering, I'm all for college athletes getting paid. And I know I know Joe is going to back me up on this. Yeah, I've written about it on my Twitter a few times at least about um, how I think the restrictions from the NCAA on college players owning their likeness, being able to do appearances, being able to do ads, sponsorships, all that stuff, I think is the wrong thing to do. And I'll shoot one back to you. What do you think the NCAA can do to get these guys compensated, even just a little bit? Even just a little bit? I don't. Well, my take would, like you said, the first step would be letting them monetize their likeness. Because that's theirs. They've earned it. Like, no one gave it to them. We all have a job to do. So I think, like you said, it starts with them being able to monetize their own likeness. And then, in a perfect world for me, it would be X amount of dollars are put away for revenue-generating sports. And everyone will say, oh, that's not fair to the other sports. Well, if your sport doesn't make money, you don't get paid. Just like the real world. Like, we're not treating this like it's, it's junior high football because it's not. Junior high football doesn't bring in millions of dollars to the university and billions of dollars as an industry. So for the revenue-generating sports, depending on the amount of money they bring in, X amount of money is put away for each player every season. So let's say, let's say in Alabama, each player gets thirty-five grand. Or we can even do this. We could say we're going to give you your, your scholarship, and we're also going to match whatever it costs for school for that university. Since they're bringing in so much money as a as a football program, each player is getting forty grand a year put into an account. Account you don't get the money until you graduate. If you don't graduate, you don't get that money. It goes back into the university's system. If you do graduate, now you walk away with what 160 grand to start your life and go on going about your business, start your life with 100 here's 160 grand to start your career wherever that is. We appreciate your service here and you generating this money for us. Go do what you do. That would be a good start for me. And if you decide that you don't care about graduating, you don't get the money. So that makes that forces you to get the money. I could get behind that. The only thing that um, would be tough is that you'd have your backup punters getting paid the same as your star quarterback, right? So that's sort of the yeah. argument with just paying everybody the same amount of money is it's sort of sort of the communist model. Like, oh, we'll just give everybody a few dollars just to keep them quiet and you know, make sure that the pitchforks aren't at the gate. Uh, when really the guys that are really making the money for the university are just like in the NFL. It's quarterback, running back, receiver, star pass rusher, uh, et cetera. Those are the guys that are generating the revenue. And your walk-on right. backup corners and guys like that really aren't doing anything, but they're going to get the same amount of money as you know your your star players. So not the left tackle? Uh, no no walk-ons, ah, no left tackles, no money for you, no kickers. <laughs> we don't give kickers money. But that, but that also – that's what that's where the likeness comes in. So if you're a star quarterback, you're going to make more money than the backup kicker with your likeness, right? Absolutely. I, I think that is truly the biggest uh, travesty in the NCAA is you can't even own your own likeness. I mean, think right. about that. They're telling <laughs> these 19, 20, 21-year-old kids that if you come and play football at my university, we own you. We legitimately own you. And if you even think about trying to do an advertisement – with your own name or get paid for doing anything on the free market related to your sports, you are a bad person that is morally corrupt. I mean, yeah. what kind of a what, what are we telling these kids? What are we teaching them? Oh man, I love it. It's the it's the it's the biggest fix in, in sports, man. They have it down to a science, so I got to respect them from a business point of view. <laughs> well, switching back, you were talking about comebacks earlier. Yeah, where uh, the Titans came back from twenty-one to three. Yep. Now, you guys had a game against the Titans. We did. The greatest road comeback in NFL history. Yes. I just want to hear you guys' insight. What's that like when you're down by so much and then you're building a comeback? Do you feel that momentum? What happens? What's that like? I don't know, man. That, that just kind of happened. Like, I don't know. Joe, maybe Joe could speak to it more. I, I remember that game, and it's like, it's like one of those obscure records to me. It's like, yes, it happened, and it is a big deal, but it's like when I tell people I'm the most prolific 5-7 receiver in <laughs> NFL history, and they're like, yeah, who cares? That's how I kind of feel about that game, but it was cool to be a part of. For those that don't know, the Browns were down 28-3 to yes. in Tennessee, came back and won 29-28. Yeah. And in 2015? Yeah, 20, 2014. 14? 14, because I think it was a Shanahan year. But it was kind of like when you're down that much at halftime, we were kind of like, eh, we ain't got nothing to lose, man. Let's just, let's just keep playing. I, I, more, I didn't feel like after the game we were such a good team. 
I felt like, man, the Titans suck. Like, I cannot believe they let us come back from 28-3. I don't know. Joe, what, do you, what was your take on that game, man? Yeah, I, I think the linchpin of being able to come back from something like that is just to have the confidence that you can do it without panic. And if you think back in that season, the first week of the season, we played the Steelers and we were down, yep. let's say, 28-3 to three and a half, whatever it was. It was We were down by a ton. And we yep. came out in the second half and we went into Kyle Shanahan's turbo offense, which is basically sort of like the Chip Kelly stuff where you're just getting right on the line of scrimmage and you're running as many plays as quickly as possible. <laughs> and Kyle stands way back there behind the offense as far as he can and he just looks at the defense. And he's basically either running an outside zone to the left outside zone to the right, or basically some type of bootleg concept based yeah. on what he's seeing from the safeties. And they still had Troy Palomalu playing for the Steelers at that time. So uh, what our strategy was, was wherever Troy was, we were going to run the other way. And we had a series of code words. We had a series of code words where Kyle would stand back there, and basically we'd either say uh, the code word to the left, I think at the time, was like um, – it was Pittsburgh, and I think to the right was Steelers or something like that. And so Kyle would just stand back there, and you're able to talk into the quarterback's headset until like 15 seconds or 18 seconds or something like that. And since we're on the line of scrimmage at 35, 30 seconds left in the play clock, Kyle's able to stand back there and change the play right on the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback's able to give the whole offense one word and the play flips or completely changes. So we'd just yeah. be sitting back there, and Brian would get the code word, from Kyle and just say it on the line of scrimmage and he'd say, no, 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 Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Oh, no, 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 Steelers, Steelers. And we'd be able to just easily switch and go the other way away from Troy Polamalu. But anyways, the bottom line in that that story is we were able to come back and almost win that game in the second half. So going into the Tennessee game when we were down that big at halftime, we kind of felt like we'd been there and we were able to kind of come back and score a bunch of points in our turbo offense in the second half. And so we had sort of a calm, collective confidence about us that we were going to go out there and do the same thing, only this time we were going to win the game. And so then once you get out there and you start playing, really the game plan totally changes because now you're taking a ton of risks and the defense isn't taking any risks, right? Because you don't want those big plays to happen. They're thinking as long as they don't give up the big play, the clock's going to run out and they're going to win the game. And for us, we're thinking we need to just get as many chunks as we can, so we're taking risk after risk. And so when the the game plan switches as much as it did, all of a sudden you're really playing a different game. And and that season, we were really good in that situation because we ran the outside zones very effectively, and we ran the bootlegs off of them. So we'd get those defenses tired running those outside zone running plays, and all of a sudden they're tired, and now we're throwing deep bombs to uh, Andrew Hawkins running down the field, catching uh, 80-yard touchdowns like it was his specialty. (laughs) Yeah, because I was known for my deep bombs, man. That's uh, that's why you bring a guy like me in the long ball. No, but you're right, man. You're right. That that was a crazy game. Like I remember the hoopla around it after we got done, and I was like, man, really? That game was that big of a deal? That's pretty cool. The Hall of Fame, huh? I remember videos of Joe dancing in the locker room. You were in there with him, huh? Oh yeah, we would get we would dance a lot. I mean, we were we were on a roll, man. We we were thought we were a playoff team. It obviously did not end that way, but at the time we were. We were definitely, uh, we thought we were going to be in the playoffs for sure. We were number one in the division, 11 games in. That's like, that was a big deal. But we won't relive the past too much. Joe, what do you think about uh, the divisional round this week? We got the Falcons at the Eagles, Jaguars at the Steelers, Saints at the Vikings, Titans at the Patriots. Who you got? Who you got in the Falcons versus the Eagles? Yeah, I really like the Falcons. Um, I know that everyone jumped off the Eagles uh, bandwagon after their quarterback got hurt a couple weeks ago, and I just think the Falcons right now, they're playing well, and especially with a week off for the Eagles, I I really like the Falcons in that game. Yeah, I got the Falcons too. I don't think Nick Foles is any good. Um, I think the only thing that's going to be in the Falcons' way is I don't know if they're going to be ready to play in that Philly weather in the middle of January. But if they can get past that, I think I think the Falcons will win. Anonymous Dan, who you got? Well, before I make my pick, I just want to rewind to last week where we made picks. Yeah, what, what was, do you have our records? I there? do, I do. I All looked right. it up. What are our records? I went three and one. Did you yeah. go three and Humble one? Humble brag there. Humble brag. What did I go? Joe, Joe went two and two. Yeah. Hockey went zero for four. I went zero and four. <laughs> no. Who did I pick? All the losers. Panthers, Bills, <laughs> KC, and Rams. <laughs> I did go zero for four. <laughs> who did I pick? <laughs> I picked the Rams. Golly. All right, so I'm off to a bad start. It's it's redemption time. I got the Falcons. 
I got the Steelers. I got the Patriots, and I got the Vikings. Now, I don't want to pick the same as you because you you know you haven't won one yet. Well, but let's see what you got. I've got Falcons, Steelers, Patriots, and Saints. Okay. And for me, it's all about the quarterback. Can you imagine the final four teams, the quarterbacks being Brady, Roethlisberger, Breeze, and Matt Ryan? Yes. Isn't that always the final four quarterbacks? <laughs> I don't know. I, I like the, I, I'm trying to root for a Vikings home Super Bowl. So I'm picking with my heart there. So I want that to be the one. I want that to be the one. Joe, who do you got? Guys, I'm sticking with uh, Anonymous Dan. I think the Patriots, Steelers, and the Saints are gonna are gonna all win. Mm, Okay, so I have an opportunity to make some gain some some, ground, gain some ground back here. I'm I'm with that. I I like that. Um, Do you watch all the playoff games, Joe, or do you just check the scores? I tell just wait to come on this podcast, and then you guys tell me who won, and then I pretend <laughs> to act like I knew what was going on. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's essentially what I do too. Well, speaking um, of watching the games, did you watch the Falcons game where Alex Mack, Joe's, you know, Joe's good buddy, yeah, Joe's on that play twins. came and like hip tossed the running back at the one yard line into the end zone for the touchdown? I did not see that play. Joe, did you see it? Joe's seen it for sure. So Alex clearly, Hawk did not watch that game then. <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm not, I, well, I didn't watch the whole thing. I took a little bit of a nap. You really only got to come in the fourth quarter. You watch the fourth yeah. quarter, you pretty much get a gist of the whole game. Am I right? Yeah. yeah it's kind of yeah, like yeah. the Reggie Bush where he pushed the Leinart in the end zone. I got you. Matt comes up and just hip tosses his own running back into the end zone. I got you. Something like you've never mean. Crazy. He learned that from Joe, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> interesting. You know, Alex was a runner-up state almost champion in wrestling in high school. And so it was almost like a wrestling move, but I, I'm still wondering what was going through his head when he saw the running back. And instead of blocking for him, he just grabbed him and threw him into the end zone. <laughs> I've never really seen that play. Well, I've seen guys push from behind, but I've never seen somebody just grab him and toss him, suplex him right into the end zone. Is that even legal? I feel like that would be well, like a sure. little bit on the illegal side. Unnecessary roughness yeah. on your own teammate. <laughs> yeah, he should have got a 15-yard penalty <laughs> in, a, in a technical foul shot. There was a little bit of controversy, I know, just following it on social media where players, uh, or excuse me, some fans were citing a rule about you can't really help a runner get into the end zone, but that it's sort of one of these rules that's not enforced. So I guess I don't even really know what the official ruling was from the NFL on if it was okay for him to sort of pull slash push the runner into the end zone. But uh, clearly there hasn't been too much of a stink about it. So obviously the NFL thinks that the, the play was okay. Yeah, well, it happens, man. It's, it's, it's one of those things where they just got to move on from it. All right, we're going to hit some quick hit, quick hit topics. You can just go right down. Cam Jordan was trolling uh, Cam Newton after the win this week. Officially a rivalry. Who was your rival, Joe? Who's, who's the guy you think is your rival when you played in the league? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I said when you played in the league like I was talking about myself. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know who would be my rival. Per se, I think you James it. Harrison and Terrell Suggs are guys I played a ton. Yeah. Like throughout my career, they were there every year almost that I was in Cleveland uh, playing against them. So uh, I guess maybe if I had to have a rival, it would probably be one of those two guys. Yeah, mine would be Ladarius Webb from Baltimore. We battered it out for a solid six, seven years. So that's my rival. All right, seven-year anniversary of Beast Mode's run. What was the craziest play you ever witnessed in a game? In a game I played in or a game that I've yeah, seen on line, TV? That you, that you played in. Oh, boy. That's, that's a great question. I got um, one. I, I, I got one. It, it's probably not even a play that a lot of people remember, but it was such a wow moment that I'll never forget it. It was actually with Josh Gordon. We were playing in New England. I want to say it was 2012 or 2013, and that was the year Akib Tlaib was playing corner for the Patriots. And Josh caught a really simple slant route in front of Tlaib. And Tlaib had an angle on him. He was going to make a tackle for maybe six or seven yards. And Josh just made a right-hand turn and just started running. And he just started stretching that stride length out. And all of a sudden, Tlaib realized that he wasn't quite as fast as Josh. And Josh just literally ran past him like he was standing still and ran for like a 60- or 70-yard touchdown. And that was the moment where I just said, wow, this is the most special athlete that has ever played wide receiver in the NFL. He is a freak athlete. I don't think people realize how much of a freak that dude is. My, my play is I was playing for the Bengals Christmas Eve, I think, in 2011. And they throw like a little quick out to Jerome Simpson. He like runs towards the end zone. There's a linebacker at the goal line. 
he does a full front flip over top of him, like purposely. Not like on accident, not like he got hit and he flipped. He literally jumped over him, did a front flip, stuck the landing, and did like a dismount pose like he was in the Olympics. <laughs> and I'm watching like, what nutcase thinks to do that in an NFL football game? But that is exactly who his personality was. That was the craziest play I've ever witnessed. All right, moving on. We got uh, Eagles Lane Johnson says, don't treat us like the Browns. Is that a fair or foul foul statement, Joe? I mean, I think it's fair. Let's let's be honest. We, as the Browns, have won one game in two years. We're the worst team in the NFL two years in a row. So we deserve the criticism we've been getting. Now, Lane Johnson, he's a guy. I, I respect him. I really love his game. As an offensive tackle, I love watching him. I think he's a great technician. He's obviously a great athlete, great player. Um, and, but he's kind of known for uh, speaking his mind a little bit in the media and on social yeah. media. Um, so... I like hearing what he has to say. I think that's what makes the NFL exciting, hearing from people, you know, giving a little bit of the WWE-style trash talk. Um, but I think it's fair. You know, the Browns, we, we've been bad for two years. We've been the worst team in the NFL. So if somebody's going to criticize us, we deserve it, and it's up to us to change that. So he was upset because they weren't favored in the game? Right. Is that something you guys pay attention to? No. Well, sometimes. Only, only if you're not favored and then you use it as motivation. Otherwise, you really don't care. You still got to play. But really, yeah, I mean, that's total BS motivation, though. It's something like that your peewee coach would have told you, and you just buy into it. And (laughs) it's hard to say if he really believes that and uses it as motivation, because really, who cares? You should be the underdogs. Your quarterback, Carson Wentz, who's been maybe the best quarterback or the second-best quarterback in the NFL this season, got hurt. It's the most important position in the game. It's the most important position in any sport. Uh, And so when he's not there you're probably not going to be favored anymore. So don't don't act like you feel disrespected because Vegas knows that you're not the better team right now when you don't have uh, your quarterback there. Right. No, I agree. I, I think it's fair, but also I don't like the Browns' criticism, so I'm going to block him on Twitter, um, which is pretty usual. <laughs> so uh, that, that does it for our episode two. Um, speaking of that, if you want to get unblocked on Twitter – or if, you don't, if you're not blocked on Twitter, I don't care what it is. If you subscribe to the podcast, The Tomahawk Show, and you rate us five stars, tweet a picture to Joe. He'll tweet it to me, and you'll get unblocked. It's simple as that. Joe, you're good at that, right? Yeah, I think we can make that happen. All right. There we go. So that's a wrap here at The Tomahawk Show on Uninterrupted. Hit us up on Twitter. You can use the hashtag Tomahawk, T-H-O-M-A-H-A-W-K. If it doesn't have the H, it's not us. Um, yeah, and tweet us your thoughts. Tweet us ideas. Tweet us how we can make the, the show better. We're, we're looking forward to having Joe back in the studio. Um, I'm going to put him in a headlock live on the podcast, so that'll be cool. Subscribe. Rate the Apple Podcast. All Android users, you know, appreciate you coming out. You can you can view us now. We're going to get on Spotify soon. I don't know if we're there yet. But we are on SoundCloud. We're on Apple Podcast. Yeah, and until uh, next time, thanks for, for everything. This is the Tomahawk Show. Final thoughts, Joe. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully my vacation will be over by next week, but if we go to the top of the charts again this week, I can't guarantee I'll be back. (laughs) Any any final thoughts, Anonymous Dan? Joe Hawk yourself. Joe Hawk yourself. Perfect.